0: Amen. Awesome. A few years ago, our kids, uh, you know, this isn't a big surprise, but they went to preschool because they were that age. And in preschool, they had a a time every year, a day set aside that was kind of a a special day, a dress-up day, except it wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't character day, it wasn't Halloween, it was just a special day because you're in preschool and you can do this kind of stuff. It was a, a day where all the kids would come dressed like princesses or princes, And of course, you know, for all the girls, this was easy, you know, for a three or four year old girl to dress up as a princess, that was a dream come true. And to wear that at school was just like, you know, best day ever. And it wasn't hard because every three and four year old girl that I've ever known has got a princess dress already. You know, they've got a Disney princess dress. They probably, if they're like my girls, they have every Disney princess dress. And so the decision wasn't, you know, can I be a princess or not? It was just, you know, which dress to wear. And if you saw any frowny faces that morning at school, it wasn't because it was Princess it was because they couldn't make up their mind about which one to wear. For the boys. You guys, you feel me over here, this was hard, right? Because guys, I mean, we dress up as a lot of things. Prince, it's just not really on the list, you know, like army men, yeah, you know, uh, all these different things that we want to be, you know, maybe Star Wars, Jedi, yes, we're all into that, but like just a, just a, a prince that, that wasn't an outfit that every boy had. So some guys, some of these three, four-year-old boys, they would come and they would be dressed up as knights, and the good thing about a knight is you've got to bring your plastic sword to school. Best day ever. That'll work, uh, or maybe they came dressed as royalty, you know, and so they get to wear a cape. Also, best day ever. Or some, some of the really good parents, you know, like me and Alicia, we would run by Burger King and grab a crown, right? And then all of a sudden, no matter what you're wearing, you could be a king, right? To be a prince, that's one thing, but to be king, that's awesome. Now you guys, you guys know what this is like. You know, we all, when we're kids. Uh, It's fun to play dress up, but at some point we all grow up. What's interesting to me is that the older we get, um, no matter how grown up we are or aren't, it seems that we never grow out of this. There's something inside of us, all of us, that wants to be a king or a queen or wants to have a king or a queen. And if you think about it, like every level of society, we've we've done this. We've designated leaders. We've 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 you know elected presidents. We have CEOs. We have chairmen of the board. Uh, we have head coaches of our teams. And if at any point we get dissatisfied or discontent or upset with how things are going, we look to do one of two things, right? We look to get a new king, a new president, a new you know CEO, a new head coach. That never happens in Texas football, but you know, it might one day. Um, you know, we look to do this. We look to to to, to change. Change that person in authority, and if we can't do that, if we just get really unhappy, then we look to go get a new king by, by, by changing teams, by going to another organization, by going somewhere different, because for all of us, we either want to have a king that gives us what we want, or we want to be the king. And I think if you think about this, for some of us in the room, not all of us, but I'd say a lot of us, people like me, this is what drives us the most crazy. What drives us the most crazy is when when we're not in charge, when we're not in control, when things aren't going the way that we think they should. And if we were king for the day, if we were in charge, it would be different. And a lot of our frustration, if we're just really honest, it revolves around that. What's interesting is that this has always been true. Uh, If you remember, if you can rewind in your brain to to the story of the people of God and how how it always happened, this has always been true. This has always been true. If you know the story at all, then you probably know that from the very beginning, the people of God, the people of Israel, they never had a king. I mean, it was God, God was their leader. Now he used leaders, he used people like Moses, he used people like Joshua, he used people like Gideon, he used people like Deborah to lead his people. But there was, there was never a king, it was just God. God was their leader. He led them as a, with a cloud by day, a fire by night. He resided in the, in the temple in the most holy place. He went with them wherever they went. He was, he was their king, he was their leader. Until one day, if you remember the story of, of one of God's leaders, a prophet by the name of Samuel. He was a, he was a spiritual leader for the people, and he had been a really, really good leader. But everybody, the whole time up to this point, everybody always knew God was in charge. But at this point in the story, the people got dissatisfied. They became discontent. They became upset. They began to look around at all the other nations, and they wanted what everybody else had they wanted a king. In fact, if you want to, if you have a Bible, you can open up to to Samuel, 1 Samuel 8. Or if you have a device, you can turn that on and and open up to 1 Samuel 8. And we'll just look at the first few verses here. I want you to, to hear how the story unfolded when the very first king was appointed. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice, verse four. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you're old. That's what everybody likes to hear, right? (laughs) You're old. Man, this is a bad day for Samuel. You're old and your sons, well, they don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. And here's the catchphrase. Such as all the other nations have. We want to be like everybody else. Verse six, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you, it's not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt into this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. Do you hear what's going on in the story? Once again, once again, the people of God, the people of Israel, despite all that God has done for them, up to this point in the story, they're dissatisfied. They're dissatisfied with with their king. And by the way, their king is God, and they want a new king. They want a new head coach. They want somebody different to lead them. They want to be like everybody else. So they go to Samuel, and Samuel, obviously, is devastated and disappointed. And he takes it personally, and he comes to God, and God said, Samuel, it's not you. It's me. Once again, once again, my people, my people are turning away from me. So give them what they want. Give them what they want. Go appoint a king for Israel. So Samuel does. If you know the story, he appoints a guy by the name of Saul. Saul starts out well enough, but it doesn't doesn't end well. (laughs) In fact, over the next several years, Israel would have some 42 kings and one queen. All but eight, the Bible says, were evil. All but eight. Pulled them further and further away from God. And those eight that might have been good, as good as they were, they weren't God. And throughout their history, there's this story unfolding of the people of God who want a king in the flesh to come and be with them. And what's interesting is that throughout history, these prophets of God, these people of God, these men and women of God start talking about a day when they will have that king. They talk about, in fact, Samuel even talks about it later on. He says, one day there's gonna be king from from the line of David. That's the next king, Saul. Then David was king number two. There's gonna be a king from the line of David, from the tribe of David, and his kingdom will never end. There's gonna be a king in the flesh who's gonna come and he's gonna lead you, he's gonna be with you. He's gonna be that king. And the story that we're, we're leaning into this month, this is that story. This is that story that for 500 years before, that for 800 years before, that had been foretold that that one day a king in the flesh would come and his kingdom would never, ever end. And so God breaks through and he sends his angel Gabriel to Mary. And we read part of this last week, but I wanted to read it again and I want you to hear what Gabriel says because I want you to hear that this is the big news in the story. Listen to this, Luke 1, verse 26. God sends... The angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a no-name town in the middle of nowhere, a small insignificant place, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, and she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. That's important. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused, obviously, and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. And then underline this right here. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Like this This is... I think sometimes we read this part of the story and we think this is just, uh, this is just part of the ramp up, right? This is, this is part of, if you're going to the movie theater and you're watching the movie, this is just the normal scene unfolding. This is, this, is, this is the climax in the history of Israel. This is what they've been waiting on. That this king that's been prophesied, this king that they've been waiting on for so, so, so long is coming. God in the flesh is coming. Jesus is coming to be king among them, to love them, to lead them, to inaugurate his new kingdom, that kingdom that will never ever end. This is the biggest moment to this point in the story, of the story. It's the climax. The other day I'm going to have a moment of confession here. Don't laugh at me like my wife does. Um, at Christmas time, we put up Christmas trees in our house, not just a Christmas tree. Anybody have more than one tree in their house? You can be honest. Okay. Yeah. You're my people right here, right? Um, we have seven. Uh, no judgment, this is church We don't judge here, we love here this, I'm laying groundwork because what I'm about to say is going to be really hard One of the trees, a couple of the trees are, are sort of mine uh, One is an Auburn tree because I'm a big Auburn college football fan And that's, I know, sorry, you know um, The other tree, this is the confession part And so refrain from laughter The other is a Star Trek tree You're laughing, I told you not to <laughs> So for the longest time, I've been a Star Trek fan from the time I was a kid. And every year to this day, again, confession time, every Christmas, I've already gotten it this year, my mom buys me a Star Trek ornament. And, and I put them all in this tree. And so I've got like, I mean, how long have they been out? Like 25, 30 years. I've got them all. Um, come to my house, I'll show it to you. And, and, and Alicia consistently throws me under the bus and ridicules me in front of all of our friends that I have this tree in our house. It's in our room because she doesn't want anyone else to see it, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a thing of beauty right and so my kids are getting to the age where they're excited about this too and they want to know what is this star trek that dad's so excited about right and so i'm like hey let's let's watch the first movie together, Star Trek, you know, the motion picture, you know, number one, it'll be fantastic. And honestly, I haven't watched this movie in like a long, 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 long time. I own it, but I haven't watched it. So the other day, it's, it's you know, it's the holiday time. It's the time where you can just pop in movies and watch stuff, you know, weeknights or weekends, whatever. So I pop it in one one afternoon when Alicia isn't home yet. This is a great time to start. it. And we start watching it. And I don't know if any of you've ever seen it. I want to ask you to confess your sins like I'm confessing mine. But um, if you've ever watched this movie, this movie, and I'm, I'm a fan, but it doesn't have a climax. It's kind of like flatline, the whole, it's, it's, it's honestly, Will at school, they're studying story structure, and he kept asking me the whole movie, Dad, is this the climax? Is this the climax? When is it going to climax? Where, where's the big moment? And there's not one. This is the moment in the story of Israel when the climax has hit. This is the announcement. This is what Luke And even Matthew, this is how they begin their story. They want you to know this is the moment. This is the moment everyone's been waiting on in the the history of the world that Jesus is coming to be king in the flesh, and from this day forward, everything changes. So as you read the story, don't, don't just pass over these words, feel the weight, feel the glory. Feel the moment. The rest rest of Luke's story, he's gonna gonna spend the rest of, of his words trying to describe to us what it looks like when Jesus is king and how people respond when they find out Jesus is king. And the question that I want you and I to wrestle with today is what do we do? What do we do when we find out Jesus is king. And how do we respond when Jesus is king? If you can think back to the, to the old stories of, of God and Israel and the Red Sea and, and the 10 plagues and, and all the cool things that happened with, with David and with Goliath and, and all the, uh, the amazing stories of, of the old and ancient times of the people of God, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to realize that the people of God were always at their best when God was king. Always. Hands down. When God was king, I mean, they knew who was in charge. When God was king, all the other nations knew who was in charge of Israel. They knew who Israel's God was. When God was king, there was nothing that could stop them. When, When God was king, they had a mission and a purpose, and they were on mission for God in the world, doing what he wanted them to do, going where he wanted them to go, following his lead. When God was not king, when those 35 bad, evil kings and that one queen led them further and further away from God. Man, they were lost. No other nations even knew who they were. They were irrelevant. No one knew of the God of Israel. No one knew who they were. No one cared. They just wanted to come in and wipe them out so they could have their land and their stuff. And at the bottom of that pit, when they were at their lowest and weakest and living under exile and oppression, they would cry out to God again and he would come to the rescue. But when they were far from God and when God was not their king, they were always, always at their worst. So I think the question that you and I have to wrestle with, and let's just be real honest, is who is your king? Who is your king? Is is Jesus honestly the king of your life is he king really and i want you i don't want you to give a quick answer i want you to think about this because if you're anything like me then there's more times than not when if we're just being true the king of my life is me it's myself it's you it's yourself like i'm the king you know i get to decide what i want to do and where i want to go And thankfully, I live in a place and a time where I have enough affluence, I have enough ability, I have enough whatever to make those decisions. And in my life and in my world, the buck stops with me. In the times that I get frustrated and angry and dissatisfied and discontent, when I start complaining, it's about when things aren't going the way I want them to go because I'm king. At least I want to be. I'm wearing this little crown. I'm not really wearing it because you would laugh at me, but you know that I'm doing it because you wear one just like it. And I want to be king of my world and my life. That's the truth. If you're not sure if this is true of you, then just ask yourself some simple questions. Who's the king of your marriage? Who gets to decide how you treat your spouse? Where does the buck stop? Is it him? Is it her? Or is it God? Who's the king of your parenting? Think about this. What would it be like to be on the receiving end of your parenting? Who's the king of how you decide to father your children or mother your children? Who's the king of your kids? Do they know about this king we're talking about, or do they think that you're the king of the castle, the queen of the house? Who's the king of your finances? I know we've talked about this, but we've got to talk about it all the time because honestly, this is where it is for a lot of us. Who gets to decide where our money goes? Who gets to decide who's really in charge of our checkbooks and our bank accounts, our retirement funds, and all the things that we lay up and accumulate? Who's the king of your relationships? Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide how you're going to treat the people at your work or your office? Who gets to decide how you're gonna treat your friends? Who gets to decide who you're gonna spend time with and what's really most important? Who's the king? Who's the king of your time and where it goes? When's the last time you sacrificed your time to do something that your king would want you to do? Or are you the king of your time? And yeah, it's just another night I need to veg out because eh, it's been a long day. You see, more often than not, I, I think the hard reality is, is that we walk around it's the king and queen of our own little worlds, our own little castles. Let's dig a little deeper though. You ready? Who's the king of this church? Is it Jesus? Anytime you get dissatisfied or discontent or upset or angry because things aren't going the way you think they should go, is it because you're not king? Is Jesus really the king of this church? And if he is, how does that rearrange our priorities? How does that shift how we treat each other? If Jesus is king of this church, how does that that spur on our mission and our vision? Who's the king of this church? What happens when God becomes king? What happens when Jesus becomes king? I'll give you a few ideas. I think when Jesus becomes king, I think we have to realize just fundamentally that he is the king, and I'm not, and you're not. And we have to submit our lives to his authority as king. So I want to ask you to think about what area of your life, this is personal, for me and for you, What area of your life are you living in disobedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Who is it that you're holding a grudge against? Who is it that you haven't forgiven? Where is it that you know you're struggling with pride or a temptation or a sin? Or What chamber of your heart have you kind of walled off and said, God, you can have all of my life except this portion because I can't let go of this he's the king and he's either someone said he's either lord of all or he's you know he's not lord at all is jesus truly your king i think when we realize jesus is king it not only changes that but it changes our identity and this is this is a struggle for us i think we have to say this out loud and admit this and i want you to to really listen to me and not misunderstand me but i think a lot of us think of ourselves as american christians and we're not we're Christians who live in America, and I mean no disrespect to our country or those who serve it, not at all, but those of us who follow Jesus, our primary identity, is it not, is in, well, Paul would say it this way, that we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. It changes our fundamental primary identity, who we are. It's, it's not the color of our skin or the language we speak. It's, it's not where we came from or even where we're going. It's it's Jesus. This is our identity, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is our king, and that's who we are. We realize that he's the king and I'm not. We realize that making Jesus king, it, well, it changes our identity. But I think it also, just like the people of God, it's always been true that when, when we realize Jesus is a king, is it, it deeply impacts and affects Our purpose and our mission. And the cool thing, the amazing thing, the wonderful thing is that when we assign kingship to Jesus, that we get to partner with him, that we then we we have marching orders from our king that that we are now on mission to, to do and to carry forward what he began. That we, as we so often say in this place, and I, and I love this language, that we do want to make things on earth, things at Riverside, all, as they are in heaven. That's what we're doing. We're carrying forward the life and ministry of Jesus in this place, in our community and in the world. I asked you last week to pray this prayer. I asked you to pray this prayer. I don't know if you did it, but I asked you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I want to see you. I asked you to pray that prayer because, uh, I'll, I'll just share the story. Three years ago, 2013 it was summer and and that was the breath prayer that i began to pray just over and over and over again i I wasn't having a crisis of faith like i i knew god i believed in god i had faith in god i just felt like for me i just i wanted to experience him in a new way have you ever felt that way i wanted to experience god in a new way i wanted i wanted to know him more i wanted to to, to have a deeper relationship with this god that i had given my life to serve and to know and to love and so i I began praying this prayer over and over and over and over again. And, and, I, and for a long time, weeks, months, nothing really changed or happened. And I'll never forget, I found myself on an airplane um, flying to Mexico with about 40 semi teenagers on a mission trip. And uh, we went, and one of the things I love about that trip is that um, my role on that trip was always during the daytime to take our students into uh, into a community called Colonia 89 to to give out food to do food relief for members of the church in that area and and, and I love that because I love those people um, I've been going so many years I, I knew them by name I knew their family so we would go and we would we would take food to each family and we would sing with them and pray with them and talk with them and spend time with them and enjoy being together and catching up a little bit and on the first day on Monday we went to do this and, and we went to a new house I'd never been to and. I, House is a generous word, you know what I mean, it's a shanty of a place. But we went there and knocked on the door and this guy came out, and an uh, older guy came out and, and we said, hey, you know, we're from the church and uh, we brought this food. Can we, can we, you know, talk a little bit and, and maybe pray a little bit? He's like, absolutely, just a real wonderful, big old Mexican guy and ha- spoke a little bit of English, which was helpful. And he came out and we said, so we talked for a long time, we gather around him, our teens lay hands on him, we pray for him and we get about halfway through the prayer and he stops us and he said, hey, can you pray for my brother too? Absolutely. Of course I'm thinking we're just going to go back to praying, but he's he, then he leaves. I'm like, well, where, where is he going? He goes back into his house and he, he's, he drags his brother out. Like, I didn't know he was there, but he's there. So he's going to bring him outside. And now we're praying, like, for the stranger that doesn't believe in God to, to come to know God and accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior at some point. And we're just laying hands and we're praying and we don't know what we're doing. I'll be honest with you. It may have been spiritual malpractice. I don't know. But we're just, like, leaning in and going for it, you know, making this stuff up as we go along. And, you know, we get done and we leave and it was cool. It was a holy moment, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. We finish that day. Tuesday, we do more of the same, making our rounds, visiting, singing, loving on people, delivering food. Wednesday, we do the same thing. We get down We, we get down a few minutes early, and so we head back to the church, the small little church in Colonia 89 uh, that's been built, beautiful little place. And we're hanging out for a few minutes before it's time to, to go back to the city of children where we're, we're working, sort of base camp. And... Um, I'll never forget, it. I'm outside in front of this church and this, 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 this guy comes running down this, this dirt, dusty road in front of the church, right? Wearing a full suit. And I realize it's that guy that I saw on, on Monday that we prayed for him and then we prayed for his brother to come to know Jesus. And so I run to him thinking something's wrong. This old guy in this 90 degree Mexican heat wearing a full suit. What is he doing? He's wearing this full suit. And so I run to him and he catches his breath. I catch mine. I'm like, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, can you help me? Absolutely Absolutely. absolutely. What's what's wrong? What's the matter? What, what, What do you need? He's like, my brother, my brother that you prayed for, he wants to be baptized. He wants to become a Christian. He wants to follow Jesus. And I'm like, no way. That's awesome. I'm like, yes, we can help you. And so we go back and we take the van and we get his brother. We bring him back to the building. And that day, me and our team, we gather around and we get to watch this man that we prayed for on Monday, be baptized on Wednesday and become a follower of Jesus Christ. We're on the plane ride home and one of the things I always did was I would give our students just paper and pen. I'm, I'm like, hey, write down a memory, a story, something cool that happened this week that we can share with the group uh, just to remember what God has done. So we're flying home on the plane and, and of course I, I always want to do this too. So I'm writing down this story. And as I write it down, I won't lie to you, my eyes filled with tears because the man that we had prayed for on Monday, his name was Jesus. In English, Jesus. And I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God as we're flying home, thinking I've prayed for so long to see Jesus. Now I've met the man. He's Mexican, by the way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I got to partner with him to help this man that he loved be baptized into Christ and to become a follower of Jesus. Are you kidding me? You see what happens when Jesus becomes king, church? Church? what happens is that we begin to realize that he's in charge and he's working all things out together for for the good of the church and the glory of his name. We realize that that, that this is who we are, that we are citizens of heaven and that that he is sending us out into the world and that he wants to break our heart for what breaks his. He wants us to join him in his mission and vision for the world, his purpose to, to bring more and more people into his kingdom. And if you've gotten caught up in other things and you've missed it, this is what he cares most about is people, is loving people into the kingdom of God. That's what it's always been about. And what I want to beg you to do this week is to consider what area of your life have you not yet submitted to the kingship, the lordship, the rule, the reign of Jesus Christ. Whatever that is, if it's something you've been holding back or holding on to, if it's a sin you don't know how to get out from under, whatever it is, I want to ask you this week to let it go and to make Jesus king. Because when we realize that Jesus is king, man, it changes who we are and who we're not. And it changes what we're called to do and to be in this world. Church, if you would, stand with me. I think it may be time to lay down our paper crowns, amen? And to come and worship before the only king worthy to wear a crown at all. It's interesting, when they crucified Jesus, they put a sign above his head, King of the Jews. It's the exact same title. When the the wise men came, the magi came looking for Jesus, they said, where is the King of the Jews that's been born? This is the big news. This is the story. God has come as King in the flesh, and his name is Jesus. Jesus may he be the king of your life, may he be the king of this church, may he be the king over all. We're going to sing, and man, if you've never made Jesus your king, I want to I beg you to do that. Some of our elders are going to move around the room and be praying with people. If they know you have a need, they want to pray with you, and if they don't know, then please go join one of them and let them pray for you. Or if you want to Maybe consider making Jesus your king today. Go tell them that and they would love to study with you, pray with you, talk to you about being baptized like, like my, 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 you know, Jesus' friend was baptized. You remember that guy? Or maybe like me, some of you, we just need today to, to recommit and to say, Jesus, you are king. I'm sorry, I repent for the times that I've acted like I'm the king because I'm not, I'm not. Let's sing.